Prologue. Pannonia, AD1. I was watching my friend die. He was slumped back against a slab of rock, smeared red with his blood. Right hand held against the torn chainmail and flesh of his stomach. Left arm hanging useless by his side. When he pressed against the spear wind, dark liquid seeped between his weathered fingers. I wanted to make him laugh before he left us. You're doing a shit job of dying, Brutus. Uh, piss off. He tried to snarl, but his grey eyes were smiling. Alone, we sheltered between rocks in an arid canyon between scorched mountainsides. The stink of smoke, blood and shit teased our nostrils. Nearby, a small village burned. From the sound of drawn-out screams, my friend was not the only one whose flesh had become a home for iron. Haven't you done this before? I tried to joke, desperate to show indifference to the desolation and his wretched state. Desperate to be the warrior that he taught me to be. The old soldier grimaced through what was usually a brilliant smile. Don't worry about me. I'll be all right. I wouldn't have expected Brutus to say any different. Fifteen years a legionary. He was more than just my section commander. To me he was a friend, a teacher, a father. Or at least as close as I had to one. I'm sorry, I confessed. Sorry because my soldier's mask was slipping. My hands were shaking. I was scared. He saw it and shrugged it away. It was as if his own matter of life and death was an afterthought. His sole attention given to the young soldier in his charge. You saved my life. I shook my head. You're dying. Let's not split hairs. The veteran wheezed. His words caused us both to burst out in laughter. A brief moment of defiance against the absurdity of it all before the angry red pain in his stomach gripped my friend once more, and he cursed every god he could name. Bug off! Before you make me laugh again! He winced. Go check on the others. I, I shouldn't leave you. I'm still your section commander, lad. Do as I say. I held the man's iron stare. I wanted to disobey him. I almost did. But then he grinned and told me, I won't die without saying goodbye. It was a ludicrous thing to say, and yet I believed him. I stood and turned my back on my friend. I caught the eye of a knot of soldiers. Two were young, eyes wide with shock. The others were solid, and I knew that they would see to the comfort of the veteran in our ranks. Then, I left the sharp rocks where I had dragged my friend to safety and moved out onto the canyon's floor, guided to my half-century by the crackle and hiss of thatch as a mountain dwelling burned furiously. A few other huts stood unmolested for now, but they too would be ash before our withdrawal. Of that I was certain. First, they would be stacked with a dozen local dead, and I watched as Roman soldiers carried the leaking bodies of the enemy to their final resting place. Enemy. It was such a trumped-up term, I knew. 
The people we had killed that day had been thieves and brigands, nothing more. They had opposed the rule of Rome, and for that, they had died. Some had even fallen to my own sword. They had been my first. I was a killer, and I realized that morning I had just been me. I rubbed at my eyes. How had things changed so quickly in just a few hours? The day had begun with peace, a slither of orange light painting the mountain tops with such majesty that no man had spoken as we ready to march. The dawn which followed that natural splendor was cool, at least compared to the oppressive heat of the mountains in summer. There was no clue in the air the hours ahead would see blood and guts and shit and screams. But then as we shouldered our burdens and staggered up into the stormy height, our section had chanced upon the seemingly deserted camp of brigands operating in the area. We'd been looking for them, of course, but then we were always looking for outlaws, never finding them. This was their homeland. These were their mountains. They floated in and out of the ravines like ghosts, and we blundered and sweated our way through the passes with the grace of elephants. Simply finding a recent used camp was cause for celebration, and none of us had expected that the mountain people would be within miles of our small patrol of forty men, let alone a spear's length. That had changed when Brutus had led our eight-man section to look for water. Who knows why the brigands chose to make the stand that day? Maybe they were simply tired of running. Maybe they hated the sight of our uniforms so much that they could no longer keep their blades sheathed. Whatever the reason, they fell upon us with spear and sword. And so unexpected was the ferocity that for a moment it had seemed as though we would be overwhelmed through sheer surprise and violence of action. One man had saved us. He reacted with such force and viciousness that he almost single-handedly beat back the enemy's first attack. As others had stood wide-eyed and panicked, this soldier had been consumed instantly by a need to kill and maim, and it was with such reckless disregard for Legion sword drill that he had even decapitated one bandit with a single wild swing of his blade. In the face of this battle tyrant, the enemy had lost all spirit and fled. But javelins had spitted their exposed backs like game, and now their bodies lay scattered and pathetic, the mountain's insects swarming on their spilled blood and flesh. Taking in the scene of the carnage, I now wondered at the savage man who had turned the tide, the man who had welcomed the chance to kill, the man who had run to the legions in search of the promise of such brutal death. I wondered about myself. I was broken out of my painful thoughts when a hand landed on my shoulder, heavy as a bear's paw. I turned and looked up to the face of my comrade, Barrow, his older features as blunt and forbidding as the terrain in which we had fought that day. Come with me. I followed. He led me to a legionary laid out on his back, stripped of his chainmail. Beside the wounded man, two soldiers offered water and comfort, one was Priscius, a kindly veteran with as many years' service as Brutus. The other, Octavius, was a handsome youth who had come through training beside me. I looked at him and saw that I wasn't the only one with shaking hands. 
I turned my eyes to the men in their midst. It was a young soldier of our section. I know. He'd taken a spear point in the initial attack. The Italian skin looked waxen and the color of dried ash. He was nearer death's world than our own. I knew in that moment that he would die far from the coastal town that had given him his name. A town that he had spoken of with love and pride. He would never see the sea again. He would never see his mother. Fanau had told me that she had cried out when he enlisted. How would she weep now? Thought you'd want to say goodbye, Briseis offered, ever wise. Goodbye, Fanau, was all that I said. What else was there? Briseis looked at Varro and motioned to Octavius and myself. Take these two and put the rest of the bodies into the huts. We moved away. Varro sensed I had a question burning. Why doesn't he look to Brutus? I asked. Varro made no reply. Instead he pointed to a young brigand who lay in a pool of dark blood. A handful of guts protruded from the dead man's stomach. His eyes were open and staring at an empty blue sky. Yours, wasn't it? Varro asked me. He was. My blade had gone clean through him. I could feel the resistance of it now, and recalled the heat of the man's blood on my hand and his choked breath on my face. You're first, I nodded. Then another two. The lump grinned, clapping me on the shoulder. If you didn't kill any before you joined up, how did you know that you'd like it? Growing up a big lad in a big city, Varro had come to violence early. I said nothing. I looked at the lifeless corpse at my feet. And I enjoyed killing him. I certainly hadn't hated it. Looking at the body caused no emotion in me, either good or bad. I was simply numb. In the moment of killing him, all that had existed was rage and the desire to protect Brutus. We walked into a trap here, Octavia shrugged, looking at the steep-sided hills and rocky outcrops that scorned our well-drilled tactics. We were lucky we're not all like Fano. That's because this lot are nothing but criminals, Barrow scoffed, grabbing my kill by the hair and dragging him towards a hut. Dusty ground was streaked red in their wake. Not warriors, just thieves. This was a tavern brawl on a mountainside lands. It meant nothing. It meant something to Fano. He's dead. Precious told us after we'd put the last of the Pannonian bodies inside the hovels and set them alight. What about Brutus? I asked. Precious said nothing. Varro put a hand on my shoulder. You did well today, the old soldier told me. What about Brutus? The veteran looked at me with patient eyes. You did well, Corvus, Precious said. Let's get that blood cleaned off you. And then he led me away from the smoke, from the shit, and from the bodies. Led me away from the place where I'd killed for the first time. Where I lost a comrade for the first time. Where I fought like a dog in a pit the first time. Had I known what was to become my life, I would have lain down and stayed with the dead.
Part 1 Five years later, there was a rumor of a war. It was a breathless rumor, carried by merchants, spread by whores, and whispered by slaves. It was a guarded rumor, hushed by officers, denied by diplomats, and savored by soldiers. Savored by us, because it was a rumor of our war. We need to celebrate, Burrow declared. The slur in his speech announced the big man's celebrations had begun hours ago. I am not objecting, Priscius shrugged. Octavius. I'm up for it. Can't take it with us, can we? If it's time to die, then I want to leave some rich whores behind. What do you say, Corvus? What did I say? Not a lot. I was known for my temper, not my tongue, and my head was full of war. I didn't want rumor, I wanted battle. Real battle against a real enemy. He's got that look again, Barrow pointed an accusing finger at me. Brooding bastard. I'm thinking, I replied. About what? How long it would take to dig a grave for your fat ass? My companions laughed, and the thinnest of smiles crept onto my face. Octavius saw it, and feigned falling from his stool. Did you see that, lads? Did you see that? A little more, and I'd have worried his face was going to tear in half. Makes a change from worrying about your arsehole, Taryn. Gods, Priscius shook his head. You really are in a good mood. What's up? I shrugged as if it were obvious as if there would be no better explanation for smiles, laughter and excited anticipation for tomorrow. War, I told them. Our war. We walked confidently into the town with puffed-out chests and raised voices. We were confident bastards, soldiers in our prime, and the years since I had first killed my friends and I had grown into new positions, but we had not been separated. We each commanded a section in the second century of the second cohort of the Eighth Legion, which we whittled down to the second of the second of the Eighth when talking to those in the know, soldiers and camp followers alike. The century of the eighty soldiers was our family, the cohort, our village, the legion, our tribe. Perseus, Varro, and Octavius were my brothers, and we formed a tight band. Not without pride. We knew that we were good soldiers. The opportunity to fight in a war had eluded all of us except our oldest comrade Perseus, but nonetheless, we were trusted by our commanders and respected by our fellow legionaries. When battle did come, as it seemed that it soon must, we knew that other men would look to us when it was time to hold the line or lead the charge. It'll be Tiberius who commands the army said Perseus, as we negotiated the town streets, the white walls reflecting the sun into our narrowed eyes. Like many settlements across the empire, this town had sprung up alongside a fort built to house a legion, the site strategically chosen to best support the imposition of Roman law and order onto a new dominion. The province of Pannonia was a recent addition to the empire, and Perseus had fought as a boy soldier in the final months of the campaign to claim it. We loved and looked up to him for it. He was a great general, Perseus went on, still referring to Tiberius. 
careful to step over a pile of horse dung on the dirt street. What makes him any different? Octavius asked, his eyes trailing a slave girl who walked by with her master. Well, he loves us for a start, the older man mused. He's not like other aristocrats. He walks and rides with his men. He eats at the table with them. I don't care what he eats, Varro put in. He can feast with the shithouse rats as far as I'm concerned, just so long as he wins. He does that, Precious confirmed, with the confidence of a man who had seen that victory firsthand. Personally, I knew little of Tiberius, and nor did I care. What I did know was that the general had proven himself in battle, that he had at first been a stepson to the emperor, Augustus, but a few years ago had been adopted as a true son in order to provide Augustus with legitimate heirs. Men such as Priscius, who had served under the general and so had some bond of shared valour, seemed to follow the developments in his life with some interest, as these pieces of information slowly and surely made their way out of Rome via both official and unofficial channels. For the majority of the soldiery, however, our biggest concern in times of peace was not who governed over us, so long as they were paying us. If the pay chest arrived on time and brimming, we cared little whose face was stamped into the coin. Today's on you, I told Octavius, with such thoughts in mind. You owe me for the other night. A scowl crossed his handsome face. I don't remember that. Exactly. You were shit-faced and kept dropping your drinks. I probably had to buy three for every one you managed to get into your mouth. Precious and Vero laughed at the memory, and Octavius shrugged, admitting his likely guilt. Home, sweet home, said Vero then, grinning as he spotted ahead of us the vines that marked out the Black Sheep Inn, favoured watering hole of our brotherhood and cohort at large. All right, lads, a veteran greeted us by the door. Heard the news? Varro held up his huge hand in protest. I told your wife already. It's not mine. The old soldier laughed, and the tang of wine on his breath slapped me in the face and made my nose wrinkle. Oh, that, you prick. <laughs> the news about the war. Tiberius is coming. He's going to gather the biggest army in a generation. I looked at my comrades. I imagine what they saw in my eyes was the mirror of what I saw in theirs. Unbridled excitement. Like a child seeing his first toy. Where'd you hear this? Barrow asked, skeptically, knowing how prone soldiers were to inflating numbers. The soldier legionary jabbed his thumb behind him into the inn. There's a couple of clerks in there from the legion staff. They've been spilling their guts for a drink. Where are we going? I asked quickly. North! Across the Danube. King Maraboris is due a good Roman shafting. I watched Priscius's face as he absorbed the news. For the first time. I saw a little hesitation among the jubilation. He's king of Marcomanni, our old head finally ventured. That's a big tribe. Exactly, the veteran slurred drunkenly. 
Enjoy your night, boys. We'll either be rich or dead by the end of summer. I know which I'll be. Octavia smiled as he pushed his way to the bar and waved for the innkeeper's attention. You could find King Morrow what's his name's own hoard and you'd still owe us money, you tight bastard. Morrow smirked. So what do you think, Precious? You've gone quiet. It's a big tribe, repeated the old soldier. Who did you think we were going to invade? Morrow shook his head, irritated that his friend's mood had slumped. Not going to get rich over a couple of farmers, are we? Precious held his tongue, instead helping himself to a cup of wine that Octavius held out. And what's about you? Barrow asked me. What do you think? I said nothing. Well, you two are great fucking sport, Barrow snorted, draining his cup in one. But the big man had misinterpreted my apathy for disinterest. I didn't care who we fought. I just wanted to fight. Not since that day on the mountains had my sword been pulled from its sheath for anything other than drill and training. And I thought back to those few short moments of combat, with a yearning usually reserved for lovers. The truth was, I didn't care if I was fighting against King Marabodis or General Tiberius. I just wanted to fight. To draw blood. To kill. To lose myself in that moment. The only moment where I had really, truly forgotten the reason that had driven me to the legions in the first place. Aye, I heard the innkeeper shout. Hey, Corvish, don't be starting fucking trouble again tonight. I'm warning you. I was known in the black sheep, and the proprietor had seen the dark moon that had laid itself across my features like a shroud. He knew what that portended. So did my friends. Don't, Precious begged me, taking hold of my arm. But it was too late. A drunken soldier stumbled into me, and I had my excuse. Less than a heartbeat later, the inn became the scene of a riot. Chapter 2 Thick swarms of flies buzzed about me as I dropped to my knees in the sewage and cursed my lot in life. For starting the fight in the inn, I had been awarded extra duties, and now I had the task of unblocking a pipe that led away from one of the cohort's latrines. I tried not to gag as I took away the blockage, the tool in my hand coming away thick with shit that splattered up my forearm. You're a natural, I heard from the bank above me. I turned and found myself looking up at the Roman ideal. Marcus. If it were possible for a man to outshine his armor, then he did so. The Greeks would have adored him for his perfect cemetery, the Spartans for his noble effortless bearing. Marcus resembled a statue of Achilles made flesh, a fact that I was keenly aware of since we had grown up together as young boys, and he had been the envy or want of everyone in our town. He was, in all ways, perfect. I threw a lump of shit at him. He dodged it without effort, of course. So clean was his aura that I doubted my friend ever needed to squat and crap like the rest of us mortals. He was an optio, the second in command of a century in the sixth cohort, and as such we were often separated, even if it was only by a short distance within the camp. What do you want? I growled by way of greeting. I heard you were in the shit. You're funny. 
You're an idiot. Another brawl? I shrugged, wiping my filthy hands against the dusty earth of the bank. He started it. Marcus shook his head, but with fondness. Let me guess. He bumped into you. He was looking for trouble. But he found that, didn't he? He had. No sooner had the man touched me than I dropped him with a headbutt. My face was far from the unmarked beauty of Marcus's, and the scars on my forehead and tilt of my nose told a story of other drunkards and other fights. Why do you do it, Corvus? Marcus asked me, looking down from atop the bank. You could be a centurion one day if you weren't so hostile and aggressive. I'm an infantry soldier, I grunted, surveying the length of pipe that I still had to clear. I'm supposed to be hostile and aggressive. Not to your own side. He was right, I knew, but rank and station had never been my ambition. I had joined the legions for one reason. If I couldn't be given an enemy to do battle with, then the soldiers of my own empire would do. Not so, Marcus. He had left our hometown two years before me with a head full of grandeur and glory. He was going to expand Rome's borders and bring the barbarians to heel. He was going to bring enlightenment to the dark corners of the world. He was going to build an empire that lasted for thousands of years. He was going to do all this, and he wanted me to be beside him when he did it. Why are you laughing? He asked me now. I couldn't stop myself, but nor could I tell my friend the reason behind it and risk hurting his idealistic feelings, all that noble talk, and yet here he was, the reality. Marcus had never wet his blade in battle, and I had a legion's shit on my hands. Just thinking about the good old times, I said instead, and there had been plenty of those. Times when we had run over the hills, times when we had dived into the clear blue sea, times when we had fought for each other, lied for each other, taken hidings for each other. We had been born to different families, but we were destined to be brothers. No day had that proven truer than when I had run away from home and toward the legions. What's wrong? My oldest friend asked me. My smile had slipped. Nothing. But there was no lying to Marcus. Within a moment, he had slid down the bank, his immaculate sandals now buried in the sewage of the overflowing pipes. He smiled at me. Let me help you with this. How could I not grin back? Always in the shit together, I snorted. Always, brother. Chapter 3 In the days that followed the fight at the inn, two things of note occurred. The first was that my friends began to call me Turd Lover, and accused me of getting into trouble deliberately so that I had an excuse to indulge my disgusting fetish. The second was that news of the coming campaign began to trickle its way through the fantastical machine known to the soldier as the rumor mill. We're marching with ten legions, Octavia said confidently as we leaned against the wall of our barracks, enjoying the spring sunshine that warmed the skin as comfortingly as the prospect of war warmed my soul. Borrow creased his thick brow. Where'd you hear that? Rumor mill. Ten legions, my arse, 
Burroughs shook his head. Precious? I don't think it'll be that size. The oldest and wisest of us decided. The size of ten legions, or Varro's ass? Octavius smirked. Priscius laughed, then he continued. There comes a point, when an army gets too big, and its size becomes its weakness, making it too hard for the commander to control. Communication is difficult, maneuvers get sloppy, gaps open for the enemy to exploit. Think of wielding a sword. You wouldn't want one a mile long, would you? Speak for yourself. Octavius grinned, grabbing his crotch. I laughed with the others. The promise of campaign ran through my veins like fire. I was happy. There had been joy in my life before. No, bliss. But to think on it caused me nothing but the darkest rage. And so, I pressed those memories down into the pit of my soul. As if I were drowning a thrashing beast. What was that? I asked. Because the eyes of my friends were expectantly upon me. I had drifted from their conversation and into the wandering river of my thoughts. Priscius shook his head. He knew what it was like. I said, we were thinking about going to see him. Are you all right with that? I knew who he was and why they were asking me. I shrugged. Of course I am. I wasn't. All right, said Priscius. Let's go. Priscius wrapped his knuckles against the wooden door. We're in the town's warren of narrow streets, a space made claustrophobic by Varro's bulk. It was not the most desirable neighborhood, downwind of the legion's fort, and in lower ground that was prone to flash flooding during the heavy rainfall of the harsh winter. Detachments of soldiers patrolled the streets to prevent crime, which was often violent and sometimes deadly, and a grubby young boy seemed to mistake us for one of these as we waited for the door to be opened. Excuse me, he said, looking up with awe at Vera. Titan among us. Some boys stole my bread. Can you help me get it back? The big man grinned. No, no handouts, you little shit. You want something in life? Go and take it yourself. The urchin's shoulders dropped at the words. Priscius looked at his friend with narrow eyes. I'll remember that the next time you need bailing out. Here, he said to the lad, after reaching inside a slit in his belt and removing a small coin. Go buy yourself some food. He tossed it to the lad, who dropped it in his excitement and had to retrieve it from a dirty gutter. You shouldn't do that, Burrow shook his head. People don't learn that way. It's my money, Priscius replied, before knocking again at the door. Doesn't look like anyone's home. I felt a surge of relief at that notion, but then instantly became ashamed because of it. I turned to Priscius to suggest we leave, but at that moment the door opened, and I looked into the grey eyes of a man whose life I had once thought that I'd saved. Brutus. Lads, exclaimed the veteran, come on in. What a nice surprise. I hung back as the others moved forward to greet the bearded man who stood in the doorway. I fought not to look at the left arm that hung limp and useless by his side. How are you, Corvus? He beamed at me when the others had moved inside. Good. I'm good. You? Never better. I followed my former section commander inside the tiny building. The space was spartan. A bed in the corner and a chest beside it 
atop which rested the shining helmet that Brutus had worn as a soldier, before wounds had driven him from the ranks, wounds that I should have prevented. Go out the back, Brutus insisted, and our troops followed the light of the sun and stepped into a common area shared with Brutus's neighbors. There was a woman there, dark-haired and a decade younger than Brutus. She smiled to see us. Good to see you, Lonmire. Precious grinned back at her. How's Brutus behaving? Very good, she answered, a Latin thick with a local accent. Do us a favor, darling, Brutus asked. Can you go get some wine, please? No need for that, Burrow shook his head. Brought some along. Here, try this piss. He held out the skin to Brutus, who took a long pull and smacked his lips dramatically. I detect a hint of goat. Fine stuff. He held the wine out to Priseus, and the skin passed from hand to hand as we arranged ourselves in the small courtyard, leaning back against the walls or sitting on the wooden stools bleached pale by the sun. There's a war coming, Priseus said simply to his old comrade. Brutus nodded, and for a moment I caught a flash of sadness in his grey eyes. I wish I was coming with you, he said, confirming what I had seen. The words struck me like a blow, and suddenly I felt claustrophobic in the small space. What have you heard? Varro asked. Brutus pulled at his beard. There was white in the corners of it. He must have been forty by now. Had he come away from that mountainside uninjured, he would have been into his second enlistment of twenty years. Brutus had been a loyal soldier and dreamed of becoming one of the few men chosen to bear the Legion's eagle standard, a dream that had been denied when we were ambushed. I was too slow in coming to his aid. King Marabodis is a powerful bastard, he began with more touching of the beard. He'll be able to bring a big army to bear. But from what I hear, Tiberius isn't messing around either. It's going to be the greatest army that any of us will have ever seen. At least five legions, and as many troops again in auxiliary units. Varro whistled. It was some force, a force strength that Roman legions stood at five thousand men. If what Brutus said about the auxiliaries was true, then Tiberius would ride at the head of fifty thousand soldiers. Brutus acknowledged the fact with a solemn nod of his head before continuing. They've already started levying units from the locals, here in Pannonia, and in Dalmatia. I sat up at the news, though it shouldn't have surprised me. Dalmatia had once been my home, a place only colonized by the Empire a couple of generations past. All peoples within the province were considered Roman subjects, and answerable to Rome's law, but only a few held the title of citizen. I had inherited my title from my father which was why I could serve in the legions rather than the auxiliary units that were now being raised. For those men, citizenship would be an award for completion of their twenty-five years' service. Of course, they'd have to survive it first. What do you think the war would be like? Octavius asked of the most salted veteran we knew. Like myself, Octavius's experience was limited to the solitary skirmish in the mountains. Brutus had marched on campaign even before Priseus had stood beside him. 
It'll be different to what I saw back then, the veteran acknowledged. For us, it was always hard to bring them to battle. It was a case of sweeps, blocking forces, pushing them into our traps, and most of the time failing. Just one ravine or pass was enough for them to escape. They knew the land because it was their own. I had heard it all before, and yet I hung on every word of war. It was what I dreamt of, what I needed to be part of. Every time we did get the better of them, we thought that would be it. But then they'd spring back up, rebellion after rebellion. I got lucky, and on the odd occasion they did choose to stand in the plains, I was there. I stood in the ranks, I... The man trailed off, and I saw the look of awe pass over his face with the memory. Recalling the moment, he suddenly looked ten years younger. We fucking slaughtered them on the plains, and we thought it would be done then, but they took to the mountains. I had friends in the centuries that we sent after them. Brutus remembered. He wasn't smiling now. I never saw most of them again. We were all silent. What was Brutus seeing in his mind in those quiet moments? Your war will be different, our friend finally concluded with sadness. Sadness, I imagined, because he would not be part of it. The lands of the Markamani lie on the plains north of the Danube, and they are vast. There'll be a great battle, maybe a couple, but that will be it. Be happy, lads. Yours will be a glorious war. You won't be ambushed in death traps in the mountains. You'll face your enemy down and crush them. You'll push Rome's borders further than ever. They'll talk about this campaign for hundreds of years. And that was when he said it. It kills me that I'm not coming with you. The words were like a sword in my guts. I looked at my hands in shame. It was my fault that this born warrior would be denied shared glory with his comrades. I opened my mouth to speak, but nothing came out. Let's get a drink, Farrell suggested. Let's toast our war. The other men stood, grinning like feral dogs with the scent of meat in their nostrils. Brutus led for the door and smiled. A drink with you boys sounds fucking good. We drank and we listened. Brutus told stories, and we lapped up the blood of the enemy dead like a cat with milk. When he spoke of the loss of a comrade, it was always in terms of the highest honor and glory. Brutus was a true servant of Rome, and nothing in his eyes was more to be celebrated than death in combat on behalf of the Empire. You're quiet. Octavius noticed of me. Just trying to stay out of trouble, I told him, which was true enough. Marcus had found a way of keeping me from throwing my fists around at the local inns. He put the idea in my head that I could miss the coming war if I was sanctioned or imprisoned, and such a thought had scared me into good behavior. As much as I wanted to throw a punch at the strangers around me and lose myself to rage, I made myself wait and be patient for the true delirium of combat. We'll walk you home, Rissius eventually told Brutus. Of course, it was more of a stumble, 
and twice Octavius had to stop to puke. The second time, Burrow kicked him in the arse and sent the younger man headfirst into a ditch. The rest of us had been near death with laughter, but we weren't laughing now. I always thought this would be my war, Brutus confided as we neared his home. I knew it would come one day. It had to. You just have to look back and see how the wars fall over time. Pushing out the borders, the empire's like a snake. It has to shed its skin and grow a new one. All my career, I dreamt I would be the one to carry the eagle when the day came, but... He shook his head. Cards to have it all in because of some sheep shagger in the mountains. He spat. Life can be cruel. Precious allowed. Brutus shook his head, as if convincing himself otherwise. No, no, life is good, my friends. I'm just being a sour old bastard. I had a good sixteen years in the Legion. I saw war. If only for a little. I love my wife. I'm happy. We reached his door. The veteran stopped on the threshold. Come see me before you go. He made his promise. Afterwards, we were silent as we walked back towards camp. Silent until we saw a dark shape whimpering at the edge of the street. It was the child whom Priscius had gifted with a coin. His face was battered and bloody. His young nose spread across it. He had been robbed. He recognized us and ran away. Barrow snorted. You see where kindness gets you, he told his friends. You've got to be hard, Priscius, with what's coming. It won't pay to have any weakness. We look out for our own, and no one else. For a moment, Priscius said nothing. We could all be dead soon, couldn't we? He finally ventured. No one replied. We knew it was true, but each man fancied himself immortal. There would be others that died, not us. We could, Priscius insisted. So let's enjoy ourselves while we can. Barrow raised a thick eyebrow. What do you have in mind?